Welcome to the Rosemont Baptist Church podcast. Rosemont is a thriving group of believers who desire to connect with Jesus and his church, grow in faith and understanding of God's word, and serve in our local area and around the world. We are located in LaGrange, Georgia at 3794 Hamilton Road and invite you to attend any of our three services on Sunday mornings. Please visit our website at rosemontchurch.org for more information. And now we pray that God speaks to you in a personal way as you listen to this week's message from Pastor Adam Camp. Let me pray for us and we're going to begin this morning. Father, we just thank you again for the opportunity to gather, Lord, to sing praises to your name, Lord, to celebrate baptisms, Lord, just to celebrate your goodness, the greatness of Christ. I pray as we open your word now, you would speak truth to us, Father, help us just to comprehend and understand, be challenged by your word, Father, and as we pray every Sunday morning, may we be transformed more and more into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray, amen. Take your Bibles and open to Hebrews chapter 2, Hebrews chapter 2. Many of you have um, maybe uh, not gone or not familiar with our trips to Guatemala or Zambia, and so we wanted to show that video this morning just to remind you, some of you have gone with us. Uh, great opportunities this summer. We'll be traveling back again to Zambia and to Guatemala. And so if you're interested in either one of those two trips, there is an interest meeting next Sunday right after church. We'd love to tell you more about that and all the chances that you have to go other places. There are other chances to go to South Asia. We're going to be going to Alaska, um, different places, lot, lot, lots of places around the world. love to tell you about them. So if you're interested in either of those trips, but especially Guatemala and Zambia next Sunday right after church, an interest meeting for those two trips, and uh, we'd love to share you all that's going on. Share with you all that's going on there. All right, Hebrews chapter two. We are continuing our study this morning uh, in our sermon series that we've entitled "Greater." It's a study through the book of Hebrews, and the general idea, kind of the the synopsis, the summary of the book that we're looking at, is the greatness of Jesus. And so we've already seen in chapter 1, Jesus is greater than the prophets, Uh, Jesus is greater than the angels, Jesus is greater than the Old Testament kings, and so we're just uh, being encouraged and challenged by the greatness of Christ. And we come to this place now in chapter 2 of Hebrews where things are going to change a little bit. Hebrews is a very interesting book. A lot of depth, a lot of things we're going to understand about the, the greatness of Christ, a lot of comparisons to the Old Testament. But in five parts of Hebrews, five distinct locations in Hebrews, there are warning passages. And so if you were to Google or do some research on the book of Hebrews, you could read about those five warning passages. And the first one occurs in Hebrews chapter 2. So we come to this place in Hebrews where we thought about the greatness of Christ. We thought about how he's superior to all these things we've seen in the first chapter. Now we're going to come to this warning passage. And I thought it would be interesting for us because we live in a world of warnings to show you some warnings on the screen, some important things, kind of like a public service announcement, some things you need to be aware of just in case you didn't know. So a couple of warning signs we have I want you to see uh, the Vidal Sassoon uh, hair dryer instructions, do not use while sleeping. Thank you. That's a very real warning for those of you that have hair. Okay, go to the next slide. Uh, warning, touching wires causes instant death, and then there's a $200 fine after that. That's pretty bad. I'm not sure which is worse. Okay, go to the next one. This bridge will be closed for one day between October 17th and the 28th. We're not sure which day, but okay, some, some instructions for your baby. Bonding with baby, yes, holding the baby. No sitting over coffee with, with the infant in the chair. 
waking your baby, kissing on the forehead, yes, air horn to the ear is a no. That's a warning, okay? Go to the next one. Choosing a babysitter, yes, on the left, probably not on the right. We'll sit for food, you know, parents, just be warned about that. Okay, go to the next one. Uh, you didn't, your mind is going to be blown. Q-tips, do not insert swab into your ear canal. Did you know that? You've been using them wrong your whole life. That's not really what they're designed for. And then maybe the most important, just kind of a little throwback, remember, turn your computer off before midnight, 12 Okay, those of you old enough to remember, those of you that still have some rice stored up from that, you need it now, it's safe. Uh, we, we made it past Y2K. Okay, go back to the main slide and we'll stare at that out. So there, there are real warnings in life, aren't they? Right? We need to be warned and careful sometimes of the things we do, the places we walk, uh, what we do in our life. And so we've come to one of these places in Hebrews where there's a very clear warning that I want you to see. So we're going to jump in Hebrews chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, the Bible says, therefore, all we've seen in verse one, uh, chapter 1, all we've studied and learned about the greatness of Christ, therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord. It was attested to by those who heard, while, verse 4, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So I want to show you very simply this morning the warning passage, walk us through it, help us understand it. Right? One of, one of the things that I always work very hard to do when I preach to you is take the truth from Scripture right out of Scripture. Like I don't want to add to it, I don't want to put my opinion in it. So, so oftentimes my points come right out of the text. And you're going to see that this morning, truth number one, we have it on the screen. Pay careful attention, the Bible says, to what you have heard. Pay careful attention to what you have heard. Right? There, there, by the way, we're going to see it in a minute. There's just big red warning flashing lights on this verse. Now those of you that are parents, or maybe now grandparents, you understand that you parent your kids sometimes differently, don't you? Like there are times when they just need a hug or love and encouragement, and they should always get those things from you. But then there are times you have to be a little more stern, and there are even times you have to warn them against certain things, right? Don't do these things, they're dangerous to you. The Scripture is the same way. There are parts of Scripture that talk about the beauty and the glory of God, and then there are times like this where we come to a warning passage, right? Just be careful, uh, stay alert, be aware. There are kind of dangerous things ahead. And here's what Scripture says in verse 1 of Hebrew 1. Hebrew 1. Hebrews 1, 1. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away. Now, let's think through that just for a minute together. Because I don't want you to miss the truth of what we're seeing in this Scripture, right? We must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. Well, what have we heard? Well, the Scripture tells us in chapter 1 of the greatness of Christ. Right? We have heard that he's greater than the angels. We have heard that he's greater than the Old Testament prophets. We've heard that he's greater than the Old Testament kings. And how did we hear? Well, look at verse 2. It says the message was declared to us by the angels. It was in verse 3, declared to us by the Lord. It was attested to by those who heard it. Verse 4, God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit. 
So let's just make sure we understand what's going on right here. We, we have this incredible message, this great message of the glory and the greatness of Christ. It's been given to us by the Lord. It's also been given to us by the angels. It's been attested to by the people that have seen it. Right? There are witnesses that have seen the greatness of Christ. We've also witnessed it because of the miracles, the various wonders, and the signs that we've seen. Right? So we've got this great message given to us by the Lord. We need to pay much closer attention. Right? Pull verse 1 up again for me, please. It's not that we should just pay attention. We should pay much closer attention. Why? Because we're not looking closely enough. Now, most of us in the world that we live in <clears throat> will heed uh, a message from somebody, uh, usually based on uh, the significance of the person giving it to us. And here's what I mean by that. If your best friend or your spouse or a relative or somebody you know really well sends you a message, that message probably means a little more to you than if some random stranger gave you a message. So we, we attribute oftentimes the significance and the importance of a message to the person that's sending it to us. We do this with our text messages. Right? If someone we know or spouse or someone important sends us a message, uh, that's an important message to us. If a random stranger, somebody we've never met, sends us a message, it's not as big of a deal. Now, I want to kind of illustrate this to you. It's interesting. I was thinking about this week and thinking about messages and receiving messages. And I, either Tuesday or Wednesday, I received this text message. I want you to show it on the screen. It's a picture with it. I'm going to read it because I know you can't read it from where you are. It just said, hello, Adam Camp. That's how it started, right? And I didn't recognize the number. And I was like, hello, who is this? And then I got this response. This is Cheryl K. Sandberg, the chief operating officer of Facebook. There's her picture. Now, can you believe, can you believe the COO of Facebook chose my number randomly to send a message? And so my response was, really? Did I win something? She said, yes, you did. How did you know that? I said, just a lucky guess. I'm so excited. You must be really busy. Thank you so much for contacting me. Now, I'm almost uh, embarrassed to say that for the next two days, I just kept texting this. It was just worth my time <laughs> to continue this conversation. It's a long string of texts, and she got mad with me. She literally, I'm not joking. I'm not joking. She, she put me in contact with an FBI agent that told me this was legit and not a scam. So I went back and forth with the FBI agent for a while. He threatened to arrest me, knock yourself out if you want to. And finally, she just quit texting. So every day since, I've just texted her back, where's my check? When am I getting my money? Because she told me at some point in the text, hey, you're going to win $600,000. Can you believe that? So I'm still not sure what I'm going to do all the money when the check arrives one day early next week. So we went back and forth, and I eventually said, look, you're lying, you're scamming me, it's not real. She quit sending texts to me, right? Here's the interesting thing, just in the middle of me studying this, right? This person, I don't really believe it was a woman, uh, probably not Cheryl Sanders. I don't know who this person is, but whoever this person is wanted to scam me and lie to me, and eventually I was going to send them some credit card information to pay for the shipping and handling of the check. You know how it works. Here's the point. This person thought if they masqueraded as this person who was important, I would believe the message. Right? That's the whole point they do this. If the guy said, hey, this is John, and I'm in North Carolina, and I need you to send me your credit card number, of course I would have dismissed it. He hoped, however, that by acting like he was somebody important, I would listen to the message and believe that it was true. That was the whole reason he did that. Right? Okay, take that down. We'll stare at that the rest of the morning. Put the main point back up there. 
It's interesting how sometimes the significance of the person we're talking to reflects the message and it affects how we believe it and act on it. So here's what we need to get, right? The Lord has sent us this message. The angels has, have given us this message. It's been attested to by all these people through history. Signs and wonders have proven it. It's a great, beautiful message of salvation. We need to be careful to pay attention to what it says. Isn't that interesting? I love what the scripture says. We need to be much more careful, pay much closer attention. Why? Because we pay a little bit of attention to it, right? We do. If we were honest, we pay a little attention. Pull verse 1 up again. There it is. We pay a little attention to it, but the writer of Hebrews understands how our mind works. Right? It's the same way that it worked in the first century. We think about it some, we think about it a little bit, but oftentimes we set it aside in favor of the other things of the world. The writer of Hebrews says, listen, you need to pay much closer attention to it. Why? Because it's a message that matters to us. The Lord himself, the creator of the universe, gave it to us. What are we doing with that message? Now, let's continue. I want you to look at kind of the warning here. What's going to happen if we don't? Look at verse 1 again. Therefore, we must, pay, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Right? And this is kind of the, the, the foundation, the, the central point of this understanding of this warning. It's the second truth I want you to see this morning. The first one is we need to pay much closer attention to the message. Number two is don't drift away. Right? We need to pay much closer attention to what we have heard lest we drift away. Now, I want to affirm something to you first. I want to be very clear about something because there's confusion here. There are five warning passages in Hebrews. We're going to go through all five of them. And they're going to talk about salvation. And there's, there, there's um, a good bit of debate in the scholarly world about how to really read these warning passages. Who are they written to? What do they mean? How, how do we interpret them? If you read five different commentaries, you may get five different opinions, right? But one thing is kind of certain. One thing is clear that we want to affirm, and I want to make sure you understand. When we talk about drifting away from the Lord, we're not talking about losing salvation. I want to be clear about that. We would say, scripturally, you cannot lose your salvation, right? Once you have actually accepted Christ, and, and it's different for every person when that happened in their life, but, but that moment that happens when you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you've repented of your sins, you're living your life for him, if you've done that, you can't lose your salvation. Now, I'm happy to talk with you in depth about this if this is something you struggle with, but here are two just very quick verses to illustrate this point. Romans 8, 38, 39 say... For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, <clears throat> nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Right? Nothing. Height, depth, nothing. John chapter 10, 27, 28. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. This is Jesus. I give them eternal life. They will never perish. Watch. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. So there's clear scriptural evidence that once we've accepted Jesus, we're not going to drift away and become non-believers, right? Here's the problem for the believers. We, as Christians, can drift away from our faith and come to this point in our life where we're outside of the will of God. Do you understand that? So there's a warning here. Listen, be, be aware. <laughs> this great message you have been given, this great salvation we're going to see here in just a few minutes, this beautiful message of Christ, you need to pay closer attention to it so you don't drift away from it. One writer explained it like this. The language implies that the community had grown lax 
in their commitment to Christ and were neglecting the Christian message. Isn't that interesting? The first century believers were neglecting their me- the, the Christian message, and I thought, you know, that's the same problem we have in our world today. What was relevant in the first century in the Scripture is still relevant today. Because if we were honest with each other, we understand that drift in our Christian walk is a danger for all of us. Now, here's the problem with drift. The problem with drift It's a slow burn. It never happens at once. It's a process. It usually starts small and grows and grows and grows. And usually the scariest thing about drifting is you don't even know it's happening. You just wake up one day and you're like... There was a time in my life when I was closer to the Lord. There was a time in my life where I just I felt his presence more or I just was more engaged in my worship. There was a time, and I just don't quite know what happened. Why? Because you've drifted over time. Like when we go to the beach, I've, I've joked before about beach trips, and you know we take a lot of stuff with us for our kids, and we set up a tent and coolers and chairs, and we've all kind of done that, right? And that's our home base for the next little while on the beach. And if you've ever gone out into the water, and we like to take floats sometimes, and you get out there and float or just relax when it's fairly calm. If you get out on a float in the water, you know, 50 feet out, and you start right in front of your tent, if you fall asleep or get caught up in a book or just looking at the beauty of creation, and you just kind of don't pay attention for 30 minutes, and you look up, you're 150 feet down the beach from your tent. You didn't do anything. You're just kind of sitting there relaxing. You've drifted, right? We, we understand drift. We, we understand drift when we're driving, don't we? Now, nobody, I, I know nobody does this anymore because it's illegal. We don't ever touch our phones in our car, right? right? Nobody's texting in their car anymore. But if you do, if you mess with your radio or your cell phone, if you're not careful, if you're not paying attention, it only takes a couple of seconds for you to what? Drift over that line and then dangerous things happen. We're, we're aware of that. We, we drift sometimes when we read. You ever been reading? And you read a couple of paragraphs and you realize, I have no idea what I just read. You ever done that? And you have to go back and read. By the way, that's the number one reason people read slow. Did you know that? They have to reread things. You've read the book twice usually by the time you get to the end of it because you're not paying attention, right? We drift in our reading. We drift in, in physical things, don't we, right? If I don't take care of my body, eat healthy, go to the gym on a regular basis, if you don't try to do something, you're going to drift into unhealthiness. We drift in marriages, don't we? If you're not careful, you wake up one day. If you're not working on your marriage, having regular conversations with your spouse, dating each other still, uh, spending time working on the marriage, if you don't work on those things, you're going to drift in your marriage. And unfortunately, what happens most of the time is people drift away from their partner and they drift towards someone else. We, We understand drift. Here's the problem. In spiritual things, it's the most dangerous because we're talking about our lives in Christ. And so this warning says, listen, we need to pay much closer attention to what God has given us. We need to pay much closer attention to this message Christ has given us so we don't drift. Now I'm going to give you a few things here. These are just some practical things you can apply. I'm not reinventing the wheel here. I'm probably not going to say anything you haven't heard before, but I want you to process this and think through this a little bit because if you're drifting in your faith, and some of you right now would say, yep, that's me. I'm drifting. I know I am. I'm not where I need to be. If you're drifting, here's some things just to keep in mind, some things you can do to kind of help yourself from drifting. The first one is pay closer attention to God's Word. Now, let me, let me just kind of confess something to you. I had a conversation with some guys last week, and I told them this. We were talking about reading God's Word. I read God's Word a lot. 
Like I have this, what I consider an incredible privilege that my job is to study the Word of God. That's incredible. It's amazing to me personally. I think it's just incredible that I'm given that gift. So I'm in the Word of God a lot. I'm studying. I'm reading. But I, I, if I'm not careful, I study in order to figure out how to teach it, right? So as I read it, I'm kind of thinking through it and breaking it down and how would I divide it and what does this word mean and how would I illustrate it. And that's kind of where my brain works. It's very easy for me to spend time in God's Word, figuring out how I'm going to teach it and never let it actually affect me. You understand the difference? So I would say to you, listen, if you said, hey, I'm going to read through the Bible this year, awesome. That's a New Year's resolution for a lot of people. Or maybe I'm going to read through the Gospels or one book of the Bible. Or maybe I'm going to read my Bible more. Fantastic. Keep doing that. That's wonderful. But here's the problem. If you're just doing a daily Bible reading chart or list or whatever, just so you can check boxes, and when you're done, feel good about it, and it doesn't really affect who you are, you're missing it. You understand that? Like you don't read the Bible daily so you can check the box that said, I read from Genesis 1 to Genesis 6 today. You read the Bible daily so it can impact your life. You see that? We, we need to pay much closer attention to God's word. Here's another thing you do. Be more vigilant in prayer. Right? Oh, Adam, he's telling us to pray more. Yeah, I am. But here's what I'm saying to you. Don't, don't simply just set aside time just because you've got to set aside time. Set aside time because you want to be with the Lord. Like if you're just praying and you've got a list of prayer requests and all you ever do is check off those 10 prayer requests and set that thing aside and that's all, doesn't mean anything to you, you're not really doing what Scripture teaches. You're just kind of rotely repeating these words that don't mean anything to you because you've said them so many times. How often are we paying attention to what we're praying? How vigilant are we in our prayer? Are we spending real time conversing with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Because if you want to drift, just start doing things because you've always done them. Start reading things because you've always read them. Here's the third thing you can do. Be intentional about Christian fellowship. Be intentional about Christian fellowship. How many people are we spending time with that are believers? How often are we letting those people speak into our lives? How many times are we challenging each other in our walk? Right? We spend a lot of time with a lot of people. Are we intentional in the way that we do those things? And then fourthly, we need to fix our eyes on Jesus. One writer said it like this. He said, the Christian life is first and foremost a life of contemplation, listening, contemplation, listening to Jesus, considering Jesus, fixing our eyes on the heart of Jesus. We need to be aware of what's going on. We need to be aware of this message. We need to pay more close attention to it. We need to live in such a way that we don't drift. Now, here's the problem. We like to hold on to things, right? We hold on to things that we think are important to this world. Now, watch. If you're holding on to the things of the world, it's kind of like holding on to the seat of the airplane as the airplane's going down. It feels good. You think there's some stability. You think it's going to help you, but the seat is going down just like the airplane is, right? So unless you're holding to something that's eternal, what you think is important will one day go away. So we need to fix our eyes on Jesus, paying close attention to his message so we don't drift. Now let's kind of finish this thing up. Look at verse 1 again. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard lest we drift away from it. Right? There's the main point. There's the idea. Pay attention so you don't drift. For since the message, we're going to see who gave it to us, declared by angels, proved to be reliable. 
And every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. Here's verse 3. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Here's truth number three. We need to remember the great salvation we have been given. If you want to pay more attention to what God has said, to his word, if you want to guard against drift, we need to pay much closer attention and remember the greatness of the salvation that God has given us. That's what verse 3 says. Verse 3 says, how can we escape? By the, by the way, the answer is we cannot. How can we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Now, my fear is, and I've said this to you before, and it's kind of an ongoing thing for me. My fear is that a lot of believers have forgotten about the greatness of their salvation. I think a lot of believers have forgotten about the greatness of Christ. Because there's a lot of good things in the world. There's a lot of things we get involved in and we forget about how great Jesus is and especially how great our salvation is. And so I'm going to kind of finish with this. I'm going to give you five things to remind you of the greatness of your salvation. Like if you've gotten over that or you've forgotten that or maybe you never fully understood the greatness that Scripture talks about of your salvation, here are five things to help you remember. First, our salvation demonstrates God's grace. Like the, the longer I pastor and the more kind of conversations I have with people, the more I'm becoming convinced that, that there's a large uh, number of believers that don't really understand God's grace. Now, I say for all of us, we can't fully put our mind around it, but, but, but far too many people still have this mindset that if I do certain things, the Lord's going to love me more, right? So I'm going to get up at 5 in the morning, and I'm going to do a quiet time, and I'm going to study, and I'm going to read, and I'm going to pray, and when I check those boxes, the Lord's going to be more pleased with me than if I had not gotten up. Now listen, getting up and doing quiet time is a good thing. I'm not preaching against that. But if you think you can earn the grace of God by the more stuff you do, you've missed it. You've missed that. You need to hear this truth. God's grace is based solely, entirely, 100% on Him, not at all on us. So just let that sink in for a second. His grace and His love for you is based 100% on Him and not you. Right? You're, according to Scripture, you're a filthy rag. Everything you do is like a filthy rag to him. When he looks at you one day in heaven, he's not going to see you. He's going to see Christ's blood covering all that ugliness, and you're going to be seen righteous, not because of who you are, but because of what he's done for you. You see the difference? That's glorious. That's incredible. It's like that's just kind of a ho-hum thing for us. Let's just move on. to. The, can you imagine the king of kings and the Lord loved you so much that he offers you this free grace, no merit of your own. You've done nothing for it. That's, that's the greatness of salvation. It's all about him. Here's another reason our salvation is great. Because our salvation was purchased at a great price. Listen to what scripture says, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. That's an interesting way of thinking about your body. You're not your own, for you are, here it is, bought with a price. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19 kind of helps us understand. Knowing that you were ransomed or bought from these futile ways, inherited from your forefathers, not, you weren't bought with perishable things such as silver or gold, but verse 19, but with the precious blood of 
Christ. Jesus paid a great price for your soul. Do you understand that, right? Not because of what you did, not because of your goodness or how smart you were, how hard you worked, or how many times you did a Bible study. He did it because of his grace, unmerited. He loved you, and he paid a great price, giving his life, giving his blood for your sins. Here's the third reason our salvation is great. It offers us forgiveness and reconciliation to God. Right? The, the fact, if you kind of take a, a big picture view, the fact that God created us in a perfect world, created everything we need, and we rebelled against that, we sinned and separated ourselves from the Lord, and he loved us so much, he still sent his son to die on the cross for our sins so we could be forgiven and reconciled back to him. It doesn't make any sense. Like we kicked him, we shoved him down, we, we threw dirt in his face, and even while we were still sinners, the Bible says Christ died for us. That makes no sense. We can't understand that in human terms. But it's a reminder of his grace. It's a reminder of his goodness. It's a reminder of the forgiveness and reconciliation God offers us through Christ. Here's the fourth thing. Our salvation brings new life. Did you understand that when you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are changed? You're not the same you used to be. Constantly growing, constantly moving in your faith. Right? When we baptize people, we say, buried in the likeness of death, raised to experience new life. That's found right in Romans chapter 6. Right, when people are accepted Christ and they, they live for Jesus, they come up out of that water. When they, when they repent of their sins, they're a different person than before. God gives us this beautiful gift of new life. And then finally, our salvation gives us the promise of eternity. Our salvation gives us the promise of eternity. I, I used to kind of look at my grandparents funny. I can remember them as a kid making comments about they kind of wish Jesus would come back sooner. You know, and as a kid, I didn't understand that, and that kind of scared me, and I didn't fully grasp what that meant. But, man, I'm telling you, the older I get, there are moments when I just think, I wish the Lord would come back now. I wish he would come back now and just save us from all this junk and all this heartache and all this disease and all this suffering. I mean, there's, there's this glorious picture one day of heaven with Jesus. It's a glorious picture of salvation through him. Now, I want to finish with this idea. I finish with it every week, and I'm going to continue to do it. Right, we're, we're, we're seeing. I'm, I'm laying out for you scripturally the greatness of God, the arguments for that. Right, we're seeing that Jesus is greater. We understand it scripturally. The question is, are we living as if Jesus is greater? And here's the challenge I made you the last couple of weeks, and we're going somewhere with this, so just kind of bear with me over the next few weeks. If Jesus is greater, and we've seen that he is, are we telling other people about his greatness? Who's the person in your life that needs to be reminded of the greatness of Jesus? Who's the one person in your life that needs to be reminded that Jesus is greater. Who's that person? Because the world is filled with great things, but Jesus is greater. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for the truth of your word, clear, understandable, challenging, beautiful, glorious Help that truth just to resonate in our hearts, Father, the, the goodness of the message. Father, the importance of paying attention, the, the, the importance of not drifting in our walk, Father, but keeping our eyes focused on you. Father, give us the ability to hear from you, to love you, 
to serve you more. We'll give you the praise and the honor and the glories. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can stand. The altar is open. It's a chance for you to respond as we sing together this morning. You come.